When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And he swings, hits it high, and deep, and gone! Still going back! Yeah! Out of here! Welcome to the big leagues! Deep to center field, and it is gone! Wow, his first big league swing is going to be a grand slam home run. Swing and drive! Welcome back to The Call-Up, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Arm Layton, and in today's episode, we have an interview with Orioles pitching prospect Cade Povich, who's off to an awesome start this season, coming off of a dynamite start where he punched out 10 over 5 innings. I'm also going to give you a little bit of an update of performers across the minor leagues, across every single level, and you know, just try to highlight some players that have been standing out to me recently some are names that you know we were discussing and then of course most notably Matt Mervis first base prospect with the Chicago Cubs finally gets the call up really excited for Mervis to make his debut in a few hours here I'm recording this at 11:50 a.m. Eastern time so Mervis getting ready to make his big league debut at Wrigley at 2 p.m. against the Marlins if you've listened to this podcast for a while you know that you know we've been pounding on the table for Matt Mervis to get called up, and he's been a guy that's been one of the first guests on this show, so and a recurring guest, so we are very much excited for Matt Mervis. An awesome story is, you know, an undrafted free agent, though it was the shortened 2020 draft, he would have still been a, you know, 7th or 8th round pick very easily, but still has that undrafted label, signs for $20,000, really struggles in that first pro season in low A, and honestly, if, if, if the Cubs had some other players that you know maybe were showing a bit better at that level he could have seen his playing time get slashed as a $20,000 investment first baseman he ends up starting to catch fire finishes strong and then really figures things out going into the next year and then the rest was history and Matt Mervis made it very clear that he's not only a legitimate prospect and a legitimate power hitter but a good hitter all around walks as much as he strikes out works his butt off extremely talented and just mashed his way up high A, double A, triple A, got better at each level. They sent him to the fall league for whatever reason. He mashed there. Uh, He now started the season this year in triple A for whatever reason. I thought he was ready for the big leagues pretty much on opening day, but he just kept his head down, kept hitting, put up big numbers in triple A again, and finally gets that call up to the big league. So congratulations to Matt Mervis. Really excited, and I think he makes the Cubs better from day one there at first base and probably a little bit of DH as well. 
going to highlight some guys that have stood out recently because there's been a lot of players performing and playing at a high level across the minor leagues, some that we expected, some that have been pleasant surprises, but one that I feel like has not gotten enough shine, one player here that is a very talented player and I think could end up playing a part in his big league team's success given what's going on at the big league level, it's Will Warren of the New York Yankees, right-handed pitching prospect. He ranks in the top 10 for us uh, in the Yankee system right around the 6 or 7 range, but Warren has been spectacular. 23-year-old, now in his second stint in AA, he pitched 94 innings at the level last year. I think he's just about ready for AAA, but in those 94 innings last year, was more ground ball and, you know, pitch to weak contact type of guy, had a 4.02 ERA, only struck out about eight per nine, but got a lot of ground balls at a 52% clip, kept the ball in the yard pretty effectively. So far this year, it's been a bit of a different story, and I think Warren's been focused on getting more swings and misses, so he's throwing his slider more, and it's a really good pitch. The slider, he commands the heck out of it, and he's getting plenty of swings and misses on it. He's throwing it 36% of the time, so he's actually throwing it more than his fastball, getting way more strikeouts, and he's punching out so far this season through his 21 or 23 and a thirds innings, more than 14 batters per nine. So that's a huge jump. He's almost doubling his strikeout rate this year. So far, 38% K rate, 8% walk rate. He still has the ability to pitch to ground balls. He still is getting ground balls. Not as many because I think he's pitching for the strikeout more. He's elevating the four-seamer a bit more. He still has that sinker that gets the ground balls. 42% ground ball rate is fine. Uh, But it is an interesting adjustment here. I'm fine with it. It's hard to poke a hole or or be upset about Will Warren and his 3.09 ERA with a double up in the strikeout rate. And just he continues to churn out fantastic outings. He struck out eight in each of his last three outings. He's gone deeper in the last two, specifically going six innings of no runs, one walk, 8K baseball in his last outing against the Mets AA affiliate. Warren, to me, is you know pitching his way into that 50 future value tier you know, and really solidifying himself as somebody that's just on the outside of the top 100 list, but with continued success like this, uh, continuously throwing strikes, being able to get more swing and miss now. Of course, keeping the ball in the yard, he has not given up a single home run yet so far this season. Uh, this is somebody that could be a top 100 prospect by midseason if he continues on this track. Another impressive arm that probably isn't getting enough shine right now is Joey Cantillo, who has been a cheat code so far this season at the AA level for the Guardians, and specifically in his last outing where he, I think, put together one of the best outings I've seen so far in the minor leagues this year. He went five innings, one hit, no runs, two walks, 13 strikeouts, which is a big jump from what he was doing in his last few starts. He was going shorter, uh, really was only going three, four innings through his first few starts, ramping up a little bit. He was extremely efficient as well as dominant in this most recent outing to go those five innings, but he had only given up a couple runs. I think only one of them were earned so far this season, so he was still limiting runs and keeping runs off the board. But to have that dominant five-inning, 13-strikeout performance, that was really a head-turner. I went back and watched it. What's really amazing about Cantillo is how he can make that fastball play even in the low to barely mid. It's more 93, 94-mile-per-hour range, how he can make that fastball be such a big whiff pitch. The amount of carry that it has, he also hides the ball really well. It gets on hitters so quick. There were some really ugly swings from pretty good hitters, which tells me a lot. When you see guys 
really like half swinging at fastballs up at their eyes. You can really tell that they're one, feel like they have to cheat for it and two, just aren't seeing it that well. And then off of that, his best out pitch so far has been that changeup. And, uh, you know, off of the fastball, having a changeup like that, that is really tough. That's a nightmare for hitters. And from both sides of the plate, it was extremely effective. Mixed in the slider a little bit as well. That's one that is lagging behind. The two breaking balls are lagging behind a little bit. But he dominated a double-A lineup with fastball changeup and sprinkling in those breaking balls just enough. I always say you're only as good as your fastball. Of course, there's exceptions to that. But generally speaking, guys that have really good fastballs, they'll figure it out the rest of the way. We saw that with Bryce Miller in his big league debut with the Mariners, which is another one I should probably highlight. How about that? I know it was against the Oakland A's, but fastball in the zone, guys swinging under it, and just attacking hitters with it. Of course, you can't just survive on only a fastball. You got to be able to mix in the secondary stuff, but it just shows you how much of a tone setter a really good fastball can be and how much pressure it takes off of the secondaries. Even if they're just average or slightly above, you can get out to the big league level at a pretty effective and efficient rate. Cantillo, it's about the health. He's been banged up over the last few years uh, and his missed time here and there. I know that the Guardians are probably going to be careful with him, but it was good to see him ramped up to 77 pitches in this last outing. 6-4, again, gets, gets some good extension there, and the ball just gets on you quick as a hitter. On the offensive side, I'd be remiss to not talk about what the red system did the other day. Actually, it was yesterday where I think it was one of the best days I've seen an organization have in terms of offensive performance in a long time. You have Christian Encarnacion Strand hit 1,200 feet worth of home runs at AAA, and he's making his case for a big league call-up very soon. Three homers, three homers that were all bombs last night. In that same game, you have Matt McClain hit for the cycle, and then the level below, you have a struggling Noel V. Marte looking like he's breaking out of it a little bit with a two-home run night, including one to the opposite field, which may be an even bigger feat than the three-home run performance and the cycle. If Noel V. Marte is going the other way, that's good news. So that was a really fun day uh, from the Cincinnati Reds organization from top to bottom. I would say... I think both McLean and Encarnacion Strand are making a pretty strong case to get promoted relatively soon. McLean specifically, because his game is so well-rounded, he can play shortstop, second, third, even if I think he could get by in the big league outfield right now. I think it would be a little bit reckless to just throw him out there, given the fact that he hasn't played that much out there. But still, I, I do feel like McLean is pretty much big league ready right now, and he can make an impact on the base paths, he can make an impact on the field. And he can make an impact in the batter's box where I think that power will really play well in Great American Ballpark. But Christian Encarnacion Strand, another guy that's really making that you know top 100 case here. I know that he's limited defensively, but I've watched a lot of the video at third. And you know it's really not as bad as I thought it would be overall. But even if he's a first base type, the way he is hitting the baseball for power, even with the aggressive approach, he doesn't walk at all. He swings a lot. Swings a lot, but he doesn't strike out that much. 21% K rate so far this year, 26% K rate last year. I would like to see him walk more, but it's, again, it's like, are you going to tell a guy who's hitting 300, and that's what he did, he hit well over 300 last year, are you going to tell a guy like that to swing less? It's pretty hard to convince somebody that hits over 300 with over 30 bombs to swing less. Sure, I'd like to see him walk more, but he's hitting home runs instead. He's hitting doubles instead, so... 
yes, when you look at how he's going to translate to the big league level, he's going to need to be a little bit more selective, and I'm sure that's something that he's aware of. But at the same time, there are aggressive hitters who hit the ball hard consistently and have a good feel to hit that don't walk that much and have success at the big league level. It puts more pressure on the bat. But Encarnacion Strand continues to prove that he can handle that that pressure on his bat, that he can continue to you know, be a guy that gets away with an overly aggressive approach, especially now doing it in AAA. Uh, it's really impressive to see. I think another 10, 15, 20 games of him doing this, it's going to become a little bit more, uh, I think, of a narrative, and it's, there's going to be more pressure on the Reds to promote this guy. Another bat-first prospect that I think we got to start taking pretty seriously soon, or if not already, is Hunter Goodman of the Colorado Rockies. And Goodman was drafted as a catcher, uh, but it was the bat that also really, I think, intrigued the Rockies. I think the Rockies knew that there was a good chance that Goodman would not stick behind the dish. And now with the way that he is hitting, I think they're realizing, hey, we, we should probably put, put the brakes you know, on this catching experiment for the most part and, you know, get the most out of this bat that we're, that we're seeing right now and see if we can get him comfortable with some other spots. And that's exactly what we've seen. So I'll get to the defensive side of things in a second here. But uh, what Hunter Goodman has been doing offensively is really impressive. You know, at the lower levels last year, he dismantled this dismantled. I would say younger pitching. He's a college bat. So people took the numbers with a grain of salt. And in 2022, he hit 36 home runs. At the end of the day, that's impressive at any stop in the minor leagues. But, you know, when you hit that many home runs as a college guy against lower level competition, he played most of his games in low A, uh, then a good portion of them in high A, and then just a few in double A. You know, people are going to say, hey, I need to see you do it at the upper levels. It's valid with college bats. Well, now he's doing it in double A. And also it is worth noting that some of those lower level environments in that Rockies organization are hitter friendly. So, so are the triple A environments that they play in. But double A is not. Hartford is not that favorable of a hitter's environment. If anything, it's actually more of a pitcher's environment. And that's where he's playing double A ball right now. And that's where he is lighting it up. Hunter Goodman, 301, 389, 699 slash line, a 194 WRC plus eight homers. Again, it is not that easy to go yard in Hartford. So that is very impressive. He's walking more, 12% clip, striking out less, 22% clip. Zone contact looks solid for a guy of his kind of power, 82% zone contact, 90th percentile exit velocity, 109, 109. So Hunter Goodman's bat's legit. The glove, on the other hand, you know, we'll have to see. I have not really dug into the left field video much, to be honest. I will, I promise, and I'll circle back uh, very soon to get you a little bit of my thoughts there. He's still catching a bit. I think he could be that third catcher type that plays left field or first base. Uh, they're playing him more in left right now, so I think the, the Rockies are really hoping that you know Goodman can catch on in left. Obviously, that helps his value a lot more as a left fielder than a first baseman, but if he's hitting this way, if these metrics hold up, you know, it's, it's early, it's small sample size season through 22 games, but if he continues to do this, uh, I, I think he's a, legitimate, a very legitimate prospect as a first baseman. So somebody to watch pretty closely and somebody to, that I'm looking forward to diving into the left field video and seeing how he holds up out there. A guy that I know can hold up in the outfield very, very well and is off to a fantastic start in his own right and impressed me on the backfields, Drew Gilbert, Houston Astros first round pick, 28th overall. Gilbert 
at 22 years old out of Tennessee, I, I feel like is somebody that it was a bit overlooked because he's 5'9". Some people didn't know how much power he'd hit for. Uh, college bat with maybe not the most exciting ceiling in the world. But I think people are starting to realize very quickly now that Gilbert is an athlete, he's strong, and he can just hit. He really impressed me when I saw him on the backfields in Florida uh, with a a ridiculous swing on a pitch middle in uh, that he got around on and just crushed a straightaway right. But it's the bat speed, it's the athleticism in the box, the way he already controls his body, the way he can really get the ball in the air with authority, and it's that frame-defying pop that you love to see. He's fast, he has a good feel for the strike zone, and I think he's somebody that's a candidate to get promoted to double-A pretty soon. So far in these 19 games, hitting 351 with an 1,100 OPS, two-home run game the other day, uh, and, and he just puts bat on ball to all fields pretty well. The power is you know a little bit more impactful to the pull side, like a lot of guys. I think it's above-average power, uh, very clearly above average to his pull side. But again, the swing decisions are pretty solid. The bat-to-ball skills are solid. The athleticism is impressive. He can play all three outfield spots. I think he can stick in center and play at a pretty high level there. But even if he has to move off there for whatever reason, he could be a very impactful defender in either corner. Uh, I'm a big fan of Gilbert so far, and I'm excited to see him get the test in double-A. Another Astros prospect who has received the test in double-A and has responded as well as imaginable, another friend of the show, Joey Loperfito. You might remember the interview we did with him going into this season. Uh, An awesome guy, too, and a really hard worker. Teammates with Matt Mervis at Duke. Loperfito has been insane. He put up really good numbers in high A last year. Actually, video game numbers, 354, 434, 552. Uh, But, you know, with an organizational logjam, was kind of held up for a little bit at that high A level, started this year in high A for eight games, put up good numbers there, gets the bump up to double, and so far in 11 games at double A, he's hitting 390, 509, 756, I know it's a small sample size, but he's got four homers through 11 games, he's walking more than he struck out, and he's also stolen four bags, he's already seven for seven this year on stolen bases, he talked about that being a big part of his game, you know, when he was on the show earlier this year. Uh, before the season started. One other note with Loperfito, seventh round pick. I always thought that that was a ridiculous steal there for the Astros. I'm a little biased having watched him plenty uh, in the Cape Cod League, but you know, 6'3", 220, above average speed, good power that he's finally, you know, consistently tapping into now. And it's, the swing just looks really, really good. Doesn't quite have a clear cut positional home, but the good news is that He's capable at a lot of different spots. So he might not be a great defender anywhere, but he is capable. He's played center a little bit. He's played second. He's played right. He's played first. You can kind of move him all over the diamond. We'll see where he settles in, where he's best defensively. I think, you know, left field could make a lot of sense. He's got good speed. Uh, Overall, he's pretty comfortable tracking fly balls out there. I could see him being a corner outfielder that you can throw into second base when you need to. Uh, But this is a really talented player who, again, hits the ball really hard. We're starting to see that and I think has some big time power to offer as he continues to tap into it as a 6'4", 215-pound guy. There will be plenty of more highlights on players across the minor leagues. I know we have some catching up to do after flying through the top 100 and you know only putting out one other episode this week. I promise 
We will keep you updated on things going on in the minor leagues, players who are standing out to me. Uh, follow me on Twitter at ArmWaitNate to go check out you know, who I'm tweeting about kind of day-to-day. I try to break down starts of who stood out and, and highlight you know, swinging strikes, stuff, and you know, just people that should be on your radar, both on the pitching side and on the hitting side as well. Always trying to highlight those folks too. Without further delay, though, I want to kick it over to the awesome interview with Cade Povich, who, you know, Povich, left-handed pitching prospect with the Baltimore Orioles, traded over, you know, during the season last year. And, you know, I think the Orioles identified him as somebody with big-time upside that they could now add into the fold here. And other than D.L. Hall, and I would probably consider putting Povich ahead of Hall at this point in the pecking order in this Orioles farm system because Povich throws strikes, uh, he mixes it up, the stuff is ticked up, which we talk about. He's got a banger curveball, a slider that is really a cutter, and he mixes up. He has a slider as well, but sometimes you get mixed readings. That was something we talked about as well because the data I have labels a lot of them as sliders it's a cutter that he spots up really well but he also has that slider so it's really cool to talk to him about his arsenal but the last outing he just had was five innings of 10 strikeout ball I highlighted Povich recently on my Twitter uh, about how the stuff has ticked up the fastball swings and misses have been great the mechanics are so smooth it looks like Max Freed we talk about that a little bit as well uh, Povich looks like he could be that much needed rising pitching prospect in the system as Grayson Rodriguez, you know, now graduates and makes an impact at the big league level. And, you know, we kind of wait to see what the deal is with DL Hall. I think Povich might be that next guy up in this system. I love what he's got going on. He's a really good dude. And I think you'll enjoy the interview. So here is Cade Povich. And here is Cade Povich, left-handed pitching prospect in the Baltimore Orioles organization. Cade, you're coming off of an unbelievable start, which we're going to break down. Five innings, 10 Ks, no runs, but you've been really hitting your stride over the last few starts. And uh, I appreciate you hopping on the day before you're about to follow that start up now on Friday. Yeah, of course. I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on. So I want to talk about everything with you from, you know, the start to the season as you get your second taste of double A to your journey from the University of Nebraska and and kind of getting through everything. But I want to just start with this year and we can kind of work backwards a little bit and then circle back to your most recent start. But, you know, obviously your name has kind of come up more and more and more. I don't know how much you pay attention to that, but, you know, when you strike out 10 guys and your stuff ticks up and you know, you start to kind of put it all together – People are going to get excited, especially in an Orioles organization that, you know, I think a lot of people were excited to to get you added to the organization uh, as they're looking to just continue to add arms. I know fans are very excited to have an arm as exciting as you. Uh, you know, what, what has this start of the season been like for you? Because you've now had three straight outings where you've struck out at least seven. It's seven, seven and ten. And it seems like things are just really clicking for you from just a you know, momentum perspective, just kind of your rhythm on the mound. You look really confident out there. Can you just talk about what you're feeling right now on the mound? Because it looks really good. Yeah, it's it's just kind of the pace of everything um, that I worked on in the offseason coming into um, actual play, I would say. Um, kind of all the preparation and everything that was done in the offseason and spring training um, and, and getting the experience of being in big league spring training um, and, and carrying that over into – uh, this season so far, I feel like is, is what's really helped out a lot. 
Can you hit on some of those things? Because obviously you were you were showing a lot of those signs last year as you're having a lot of really strong starts, several 10, 11 strikeout outings, but it just seems like the consistency has really been there from the jump this year. What are some of those things in big league spring training or through the offseason that you were focusing on that's you know kind of maybe helped you unlock something else here so far this season? Uh, I think just working on the schedule, on the day-to-day schedule, um, being – kind of diligent in, in my work and what I do um, off season, taking all my pitches, trying to just pound the zone with every single one of them. Um, not, not worry too much about missing bats, just trying to trying to throw strikes and fill up the zone and um, know that if you throw good stuff, it'll, they'll come, um, which also helps when you have a defense um, behind you that, that can get pretty much any ball. Um, so just pound the zone, having the confidence um, to go kind of be yourself and then um, just working that daily plan that you set for yourself. What's interesting is you know, you've always kind of been the guy that pounds the zone. I think that's that's what got you drafted out of Nebraska. That's what's you know, really was, I think, what the scouting report was on you out of, out of the gate was lefty, pounds the zone, mixes it up. Uh, and now you've seen that stuff tick up. So I think it's, it's interesting to uh, you know hear you say that. Uh, do you feel like you're, you are missing more bats almost without trying now because of uh, this approach and kind of leaning into, you know, what's got you here as a guy that's always been able to mix it up, has always been able to pound the zone. And, you know, now you've seen this uptick in your stuff across the board. Yeah, I, I have a little, you know, just trying to establish fastball um, and work stuff off of that. And um, obviously that makes hitting a little more difficult. Hitting is not easy. Um, so Going and knowing that obviously is also a little bit of a confidence boost. And, and then stuff wise, you know, obviously the fastball being able to get more whiffs with the fastball is gonna gonna set the tone and, and make you a lot more confident across the board. But just seeing your your pitch usage and also the effectiveness with all of your offerings, you've got the fastball, the slider, the curveball, the changeup, and specifically the changeup, I feel like is it's a small sample. It's still early in the year, but it seems like you've been spotting that pitch a lot more uh, and using it a little bit more. Obviously the fastball, you've been able to get a ton of whiffs too. Has there been any specific offering the sliders? I feel like has always kind of been there for you that you feel like you, you have a little bit more confidence in so far this year. And was there any focus for you on uh, any specifics within your arsenal to, you know, maximize that going into this year? The changeup was definitely one thing that uh, we looked at, the off season, you know, I feel like last year at the end of the year, I threw, I was able to throw a few that were, that were good um, overall, but the, the locating it over the middle of the plate and um, counts that I wasn't, I'm not supposed to throw a change up over the middle of the plate was, was one thing we looked at. So just the consistency as far as how we were wanting it to move and then where we were locating it. And also just saying kind of screw it. We're just going to, chuck it and let it do what it does um kind of all that playing into each other has definitely made it um a better pitch in my opinion than it was last year in the slider i mean that that's a pitch that i feel like you can kind of command on both sides of the plate i'm seeing you backdoor guys that that are righties and you know use it as as a swing and miss pitch again against lefties as well as it would you say that's your most confident pitch uh in terms of of one that you just feel like you can use to get yourself out of really any spot yeah, that, I mean, I, I feel like even more than that would be probably my curveball, honestly, yes. um, just because it was one I've been throwing since, gosh, I 
couldn't even remember, but I threw it throughout all throughout college as well when I didn't necessarily have a slider yet. So um, that's definitely a pitch that I feel comfortable. Probably one of the more confident ones I feel comfortable throwing at any time. And and in your college career too, you know, again, in a world where velocity kind of is is king, and you know that's what teams are always looking at. Like, at what point did you realize, like, hey, I've I've got the ability. I'm starting to turn enough heads to you know be a pretty early draft pick and and be a guy that could be taken in the top five rounds. Like, when did it start to kind of become a reality for you as you know somebody that could be a legitimate legitimate uh, draft prospect? Um, I think it first really came. You know, I, I didn't throw necessarily my freshman year that hard in junior college. And then my first year at Nebraska um, in the fall, I wasn't lighting up the radar gun or anything, um, even with my first couple starts there. Uh, and then during COVID, I the, the facility I trained at, I was it was still open um, in a sense. So I could go in there uh, and, and kind of basically just focus almost an entire um, season on trying to gain velo, trying to gain weight, trying to, you know, do all this. Uh, and then once I got into summer ball, um, which luckily I was able to to play summer ball during COVID, um, it's, it's kind of when I started to see the, the velo tick up and, and start getting into maybe hitting 93 here and there. And, um, you know, seeing some radars, heads turn, um, going into uh, my junior year at Nebraska in the fall. And, and at that point, you know, what what kind of difference did it make on a, on a collegiate standpoint? Because you, you see that velocity tick up. I mean, that's going to make a big difference swing and miss wise. And But you also want to kind of keep being who you were, which was a guy that can mix it up. You talk about the curveball that you've always had. Uh, did you feel like that kind of helped you unlock something? Or did you almost have to remind yourself, hey, I, I don't want to lean on this now 91, 92, 93 mile an hour fastball a little bit too much because that'll overpower a lot of college hitters. Yeah, I I, sat, I tried to just stay true myself. And I mean, that's a lot to to go with my college coach as well. It's just, you know, the the velo tick up helps, obviously. Um, but at the same time, you, you got to this point with throwing in a certain way. So let's stick to that um, and, and just let that extra tick up in velo help itself out. So you get drafted third round. Um, you know, you already had thrown a, a fair amount of innings that year. So you, you throw a little bit, you know, at, at the rookie level, low A, look great there in 10 innings. But, you know, that that was just kind of just your opportunity to get a taste of it. Then you come back the next year with, you know, kind of ready for a full slate where you end up throwing 114 innings in 2022. And that was, you know, between organizations, which we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that transition. But you know, speaking to the transition of kind of going straight to high A, because you did really only throw eight innings in low A. Obviously, polished college arm makes sense. You know, you can make that jump, but it's a jump. Uh, you know, what was the biggest adjustment for you? Because you were punching guys out, 107 punch outs and you know, 78 and two-thirds innings in the that Cedar Rapids specific stint there. Um, but also, you know, there there were the ERA like it's, it's surface level, but was a little bit higher than anything you were probably used to doing in college because you carved guys up. So, like, how did you how did you trust that? Because obviously, it all started to get better and better and better. You're missing bats, but it might not all totally be there the way you wanted it to be, and and now it is. You know, what was the biggest adjustment for you to that high A level? That's a big jump from college all the way to high A, where you got some hitters that have you know kind of got a, a decent amount of professional at bats under their belt. 
Yeah, they're, they're definitely a lot more advanced hitters, I would say. Um, and then that kind of just brings to brings up what, what I was saying earlier about um, what I'm, the focus in the offseason and into this year was it's just consistency, um, you know, having having good games and continuing to put those starts together um, and not letting anything kind of spew out or go haywire. Um, and, and that was probably one of the biggest things I learned. And I think a lot of that comes down to just the the mental aspect of it and then also managing workload a little bit um, so that you feel at, at your best on when it comes to that start day. And then you you also, I mean, this was your first full pro season, really, and and you end up getting getting traded, which is the nature of the beast. It's uh, unfortunately the business side of it, but it's also a really interesting angle because you're a guy that just gets into pro ball and obviously third round pick. A lot of teams knew who you were and, and were probably had you circled on their draft boards. And I assume that the Orioles very well could have easily been one of those teams, too. Um, it, it's pr- got to be a weird feeling, I assume, to to get traded but it also has to be in a weird backwards way i I assume kind of like interesting because it's like oh this team this organization everyone knows how much they need pitching and they id'd me as a guy that can kind of help usher in this this new era of of more pitching prospects and you know more pitching in general from top to bottom Uh, what was that like kind of going through that process of getting traded obviously you know it's it's bittersweet but again you get acquired by an organization that has some of the most talent in in any organization in baseball in terms of, of what you guys have prospect wise. And obviously, you know, you're, you're now one of the most exciting arms that they have to offer in that system. And uh, you are making a big impact. Yeah. It's always like the, the phone call I received, it was kind of a, a shock just because one, you don't necessarily ex- expect it. Um, two, it was the, I think it was the last day. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like, oh, well, nothing's going to happen. And then, you wake up and you're sitting in your bed and it happens. Um, so yeah, it, it's a crazy process when, when it originally happens, but um, kind of looking at it more and, and seeing, you know, all the, all the great stuff that the Orioles have in their farm, number one farm system, um, all this talent in the field. Uh, you got um, Grayson and DL. It, it's you, you, you kind of look at it again and go, okay, I'm actually, I feel like I'm going to a really good place. Yeah. And, and so you talk about spring training and um, just, just being able to work with, with the big league guys, but even from, from the minor league perspective too, there's so much talent. I always talk about Norfolk. That might be one of the best triple yeah. a rosters I've ever seen. Um, I know a lot of teams do like intra squads and, you know, live ABs and things like that. Did you guys do any of that um, through this spring? Like, did you have to, you know, kind of square off against, a lot of the Norfolk guys and big league guys and things like that, because uh, that's kind of the ringer, even, even for a, you know, a high level pitching prospect like yourself, like that Norfolk team, I, I always think about it every single time. I'm like, this is a great test for this pitching prospect. This is a great test for this pitching prospect. Every time they square off against Norfolk. Yeah. I, I mean, when I first got there, uh, I was just before games had started, I was just getting into throwing live at bats. So, you know, I got to throw to, Rutschman and uh, Mateo and uh, Santander and you know, all these guys. And then I got to throw to Ben Boom. Um, and so, yeah, I just being able to mix with all those guys and then, um, you know, meet some of the, the guys that are in Norfolk now and um, just kind of be around all of them and, and see them compete. And, you know, obviously it's, it's insane that the talent that was there and it was really cool to see and be a part of. 
And then also, you know, your team, you talk about the defense behind you and, and the way you're able to kind of, you know, be confident enough to pitch the contact, even though you, you know, you've, you've missed a lot of bats so far this season, uh, just having that confidence. This team is really good too. And specifically, I mean, like Heston Kerstad has been unbelievable, you know, to see what he's done in the early part of this year. I mean, Kobe Mayo, another really, really good prospect. Uh, but from the defensive perspective, like you talk about that, why are you so confident about, you know, the, the defense behind you? Like who are some guys that you you really just can love to watch, go get it. You know, the few times that you do end up giving up maybe a, a, a loud hit in the gap or a hard hit ground ball. Yeah. I, the, I mean, the infield throughout has basically been um, pretty locked down on, on any balls coming to them. And then uh, obviously it's like every, almost every other day that you see Dante making a yeah. unbelievable catch in center field. So it, it's kind of been, you know, just for me and for everybody, even sitting in the dugout, you know, if the ball's hit the center field, uh, Dante's going to be there somewhere. So it's been pretty crazy to watch the past couple of weeks how, how all that's been. Yeah, so I uh, broadcasted in the Cape Cod League in 2019 and uh, for Katuit. So Dante was playing center field out there. And like anytime there was a ball out there, I was I was getting myself ready to – to get excited about a diving catch. Yeah. I mean, some of our, some of our biggest highlights of the year were, were Dante Williams catches in center field. So it's always nice when you got a guy that can go get it out there. It's gotta be pretty fun to watch, but hundred oh, percent. and from what you've been able to do now, you know, in this new organization and now kind of making your way up um, you've had the success in double now. Um, and, and obviously we've talked about the talent from top to bottom and the, and the talent at the big league level. This is a, kind of a changing Orioles team that is you know, very serious about winning in the near future. You know, wh what are some of your goals as you continue to go? Because obviously you're off to a great start. Everything that you've worked on to, you know, get you here, this second stint in double A, you obviously look like you've kind of leveled yourself up a little bit, but I'm sure you've got goals to, to reach triple and, and maybe even beyond that this year. You know, what are your individual focuses as you kind of go in throughout this year after a, a such a hot start? Yeah, I definitely obviously want to want to keep moving up. I think that's always the goal for everybody. Um, but, you know, it's not my decision at the end of the day. So all I can do is try and, um, you know, continuing to to get better like like I would in the offseason. Um, you know, you try and try and work on different things to be the best you can going into the season um, and just trying to carry that over into season, you know, continuing to train, work on things. Um, you know, so I'm a better pitcher at the middle of the season, at the end of the season than I am now. Um, and, you know, just trying to find that consistent standpoint to where everything's working. And I'm obviously you're not going to be the, be the best, feel the best every single start, but, um, you know, you can prepare and, and try and work to be like that as much as possible. What stood out to me specifically on you in your last start where you go five innings, 10 strikeouts, no runs is, you know, we talk about how good the breaking balls are. The curveball is one that's always been there for you. Now the slider, you know, statistically speaking is, is one of your most effective and efficient pitches um, in terms of your ability to locate it too. But it was the fastball that, that really got all the swinging strikes in this outing. Uh, but what was interesting to me is you look at the sequencing, you look at the way you attacked hitters, like, yeah, you started some guys off with fastballs, but you also started plenty of guys off with sliders and started a couple guys off with change-ups and things like that. Um, it, it, was that a game where you just felt like the fastball was really working for you or 
did you feel like you were setting up the fastball well by starting guys off with sliders and starting guys out, off with with other pitches? Yeah, I think for the most part, it was, you know, the, the mindset was already going into that game, um, trying to work stuff off the fastball and establish the fastball early. Um, and, and really the overall mindset was just trying to throw everything through a brick wall at the end of the day. And you, you kind of did that. You hit 95 several times. Uh, you're sitting really, you know, 93, 94. And uh, what's interesting too is is the way that – so there were some pitches that registered as as cutters. Like you, you've mixed that in as well. Is is that a, a, a slider that's kind of coming in a little bit harder? Is that a fastball that you cut a little bit? Or is that an actual different pitch that you're, you're mixing in there as well? No, it's an actual cutter. And I think um, it might have been – there might have been some that have read that might have moved a little more and read a slider because I I only actually threw um one slider that game. Oh wow. Um, okay. So, so yeah, that, that's why I love asking because you, you never know like with 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 track man or with whatever whatever data you know you're getting from what exactly those pitches might be. So you had a lot that registered as sliders. So those are specifically actually cutters. Yeah, I, I only threw uh I actually yeah, I only threw one actual slider. Interesting. And so that cutter is is the pitch that you feel like you have a lot of confidence with too, because again, like whatever's registering as a slider, whatever it is, high strike rate and and a lot of effectiveness there. Is that a pitch that you've always kind of had had going? Obviously, you mentioned the curveball's always been there, but you know, when did you start incorporating that that cutter a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, the cutter's kind of been a pitch for me that ever since I was a little kid has been um, here and then there. You know, it started originally. You know, I think I was 10 or 11 and um, there's not a whole lot of pitching development wise at 10 or 11 that you can really look at. You're throwing fastball and change up, but you're also a, a little kid scared to throw inside and hit somebody. Yeah. So my dad and I were sitting in uh, our house one day and we're just thinking about a cutter because we, we saw something about Mario Rivera and we found a video on how he throws his. Um, so we just kind of went to. You know, if we were going to throw inside of a kid, we were going to throw a cutter. And then if we were going to throw away, we'd throw a fastball. Obviously, not many 11-year-olds are throwing cutters. So yeah. it was something I was able to kind of build upon and keep throwing. Uh, and then kind of once I got more comfortable throwing a fastball inside, the cutter kind of went away um, and then came back a little bit in college. And then um, with the Twins, it went away again. And then after the trade bringing it back and um it's just been something i've been been really confident with as far as how it's been moving and um kind of where the velo is and um you know it's very similar to a fastball so the, the ability to throw it for a strike is is pretty easy as well yeah so how, how different's the grip because you know some guys have the the slider that they'll kind of manipulate to just be a, a shorter slider and then sometimes that'll register as a cutter it sounds like this is you know, a fully different pitch closer to the fastball. How how different is the grip from maybe your your slider or from your fastball for this cutter? Yeah, it's really just kind of like a forcing fastball. Oh. Um, I mean, the ball's tilted a little bit and um, finger pressure is a little different, but for the most part, it's I, I try to keep it pretty similar to the fastball, so it it has a very similar look coming out of the hand, um, and then moves a little bit more to the right than um, arm side once it gets to the plate. 
And, and is, is it something that you specifically, you know, you mostly just want to use to kind of like bore in on righties or, or is that a pitch that, you know, you'll, you'll throw to lefties a little bit as well? Well, I'll throw it to lefties a little bit as well. Um, it, it just kind of depends on the count and, you know, what we've thrown before. And you talk about like pitch usage and and how, you know, with, with the twins, you weren't using it with the Orioles. You were like, obviously you don't need to, you know, peel back the curtain too much, but I always find it fascinating. Like you have different organizational philosophies and um, you know, different ways that that teams feel like they can help get the most out of what you're doing. Uh, Was there a, a, a big change in terms or even much change at all in terms of, you know, what the twins maybe saw out of your arsenal and maybe what the Orioles see now and, and what they want you to do uh, in terms of, you know, pitch usage and, and just overall sequencing and things like that. Yeah. I mean, here it's pretty free. Uh, you know, there, if you want to throw a pitch, if we're going to look at the numbers and see how we can improve on it, obviously not try and overdrive with throwing six different six, seven, eight different pitches, but um, yeah, I mean, I was able to come over here and um, throw the cutter again. And I think the first game I threw uh, in Aberdeen last year, I probably went from throwing zero with the twins to throwing maybe 20 or so in that first game. So um, it's definitely been a pitch for me. I feel like um, that it's looked and played really well for me. And, you know, one, one of the last things I wanted to ask you is, is there anybody that you look towards uh, at the big league level uh, in terms of just like the way that they, you know, attack hitters or, or mechanically, or, or, you know, I know, I know a lot of pitchers like to, you know, kind of use a prototype in, in one way or another with the way that they use their pitches and, and the way that they go after hitters. Is there anyone that you kind of draw any inspiration from or, or maybe pieces of, of a few different guys uh, that, that you kind of like to look towards? Uh, yeah, I'm growing up. Um, I mean, being a lefty with a big curveball, I was always watching Kershaw. Yeah. Um, he was he was definitely uh, a guy that I looked at um, year in and year out, and was a big fan of. And um, now I still watching him. It's it's amazing how far he's come, and um, every start is is awesome to watch. And then um, I would say Max Fried as well. That was I'm guy. so glad you said that. Was literally going to be my my. I was going to load the question and ask and say like. I kind of see Max Freed a little bit in the mechanics of whatever, but that, so what is it about Max Freed besides also the banger curveball? Yeah. I, the curveball, I feel like uh, just the way he throws, uh, it, it's been something it, it's like, it's crazy. Cause I, I guess I try and kind of see it. Cause obviously a guy like Max Freed, um, he's insane. He's been really good the past few years and I feel like he's only continued getting better, but um just people have continuously brought up him um, and me as far as mechanics, pitches look. Um, I remember when he was throwing in the World Series the other year, I got so many people texting me and tweeting at me, asking if it was if it was me out there. Um, <laughs> hey, that's a compliment. Yeah, no, it's awesome. And then even I remember my first bullpen in, in big league spring training, um, I think Holty came up to me and asked if we had Max Reed on the town. So, you know, it, it's it's pretty cool. Um, you know, obviously he's really good pitcher. So yeah, it, it's easy to look at him for sure. Uh, and, and so is that almost inadvertent? Like, you know, you just happen to have similar some some mechanics there because, like you said, it sounds like people were kind of telling you about it before you even really realized it. 
Yeah, I I mean I think when did I I think I first knew who Max Reed was um my junior year of of college. Yeah. So it's not it wasn't a guy that I had been following growing up. Yeah. Um, you know, my high school pitching coach was uh, is a big Braves fan and I I remember him in high school saying something about about him and comparing me to him and I was just like I, I don't really know who that is. Um I'm a big Clayton Kershaw guy. So, but then once I, once I saw him and he's in the bigs and doing well, I was like, okay, I can actually kind of see it a little bit. So mechanically, just to kind of wrap up on that, on that thought is obviously guys that can pound the strike zone, the way you do repeat their mechanics really well, repeat their delivery really well. You know, what what allows you to do that? Is is it athleticism? Like, were you a two way player growing up? Like, did you, because I feel like those are the guys sometimes that, you know, played in the field, have that athleticism, have that body control, repeat their delivery well, or did you kind of just feel like you found the moves that, that you were able to, you know, just repeat really effectively and and continue to repeat the delivery? Cause that's something that doesn't come easy for most guys and especially lefties. It seems like that's something that usually comes a little bit later, um, but it's always been there for you. What do you attribute that to? Honestly, I think I'd attribute it to throwing slow when I was younger. Um, I wasn't a guy that could blow fastballs by everybody. So I had to throw strikes and I had to fill up the strike zone with all my pitches. So um, having to do that and then mix pitches and throw them off for strikes, just as the velo came, trying, it's easy to to try and get away from that, um, you know, but as the velo came, making sure I still contained and worked on the control, it's just, it's that, I think that's what helped out a lot. I feel like there's no safer profile in a pitcher than the guy that had to get outs in the, you know, at the lower velocities, maybe a little bit lesser stuff, and then sees this big jump and stuff. It's like oh, Shane Bieber. I think that's why he's been able to basically survive now the downtick again and stuff, because this is how he got outs before. So it's, right. it is really cool to see that. Um, and, and I feel like those are the guys that you know, are pretty, pretty can't miss. Last question for you. What's a successful year for Cade Povich in 2023? Yeah, I think just continuing to build on myself um, on the field and that consistency level. Um, and then, you know, just trying to trying to do stuff away from the field as well. Um, kind of get out and explore kind of Bowie and Baltimore and whatever area I'm in a little bit more. Um, and, and just grow as a, as a player, as a man, and, and be the best person I can be. Uh, you just teed me up for one more now. I'm sorry. What's What are what are some off-the-field interests there, uh, that, that some things you like to do? Um, I'm, I've, I like to explore a lot. I like to go out and, and walk around and um, see different areas. That was one thing in college that I did a lot, especially uh, on the road trips, is you know, we'd have night game Friday. So wake up in the morning for breakfast. And then, um, you know, I always felt bad going back to the hotel room and laying in bed before yeah. it starts. So I would go out and, and walk around the campus or the city or wherever we were. And um, that's kind of where that all stemmed from. And, um, you know, I think it, it's very relaxing and also yes. kind of starts getting the body going a little bit, um, especially on, on start days like that. Do you have a favorite road trip? I got to think. I, I don't know of any, I would say right now in college, college would be hard too. Probably the the regional in, in Arkansas. That was, that was a good road trip, but. Yeah. No, um, I, I was thinking, cause like the Midwest, like there's, 
there's a lot of interesting spots in, in a lot of rural areas where you can probably explore quite a bit, um, yeah. especially, especially out where you were. But uh, I really, really appreciate you taking the time. Again, congratulations on an awesome start to the season and uh, really excited to see what you're going to do the rest of the way, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.